I loved art class. Is there anybody else in here that loved art class when you were young? Oh, a couple of hands, but not many. I loved it. It was where I was home. It was where I could create. It was where I uh, felt like I was successful. I could create and have fun. And um, in high school, it became kind of my second home to go down to the art room. I loved the art teacher. He was a great person and became a mentor of mine. And um, you know, just felt at home there because I could create and be myself and have fun. And, um, you know, it was awesome. So when it came time to meet with the guidance counselor and decide what I wanted to be for the rest of my life, it was obvious. I was going to be an art teacher. I was going to do the same thing for other kids what had been done for me, to create a place where um, kids can be creative and have fun and feel loved. And, um, you know, that was, that was where I was going. And now I'm up here talking to you. So God has taken some turns, made some turns in my life that I wasn't expecting. Some things have changed that, that weren't what my plans were. Um, but you know what? God is awesome, and his plan is awesome. And so we're here today. And, but the thing that I loved most about art class, when I was teaching, I got to teach for a few years, <clears throat> and the, the thing that I loved teaching most was teaching young kids about perspective, one-point perspective, two-point perspective, how to draw things that you see on a piece of paper. And it was always so cool to see them and, and, and be able to teach them tricks so that they could accurately draw on a piece of paper what they saw. And one of my favorite lessons and what, we like, what I like to do was we would put objects on the center, in the center of a table. And we'd have the kids sit around the table and each one of them would draw what they see. And at the end of the project, after we gave everybody time to draw, we would take all those drawings and we would put them up on, wall, on a wall, side by side, and it was always cool to see the kids when it started to click that every one of those drawings was different. The kid that sat on the other side of the table from me has a different perspective than I did. The person that was sitting right next to me saw things differently than I saw them. And we could teach life lessons, I could teach life lessons to these kids through the art that we were teaching. It's called perspective, the way we see the world. It's totally unique to who we are. There's not a single person in this room that sees things the same way. Right now, for example, I'm up here, I look down on you, I see all these smiling faces. Not another person in the world is seeing that right now. And you're sitting there and you're looking up at me and every person in this room is seeing things a little differently than even the person that's sitting right next to you. This is perspective. There may be similar perspectives, but nothing is going to be exactly the same. And as we get older, our perspectives change. As we experience new things in our lives, good or bad, we see the world in a different way. As we have hurts and joys, our perspective changes on how we see the things around us. The way I see the world it is dictated by these experiences. And every one of those experiences changes how I see the people around me a little bit at a time. And if those experiences are good, the way I see the people, the people around me is good. If those experiences are bad, it changes how I see the world. If I grew up in a family of hurt and pain and abuse, I'm going to see the people around me differently than someone who grew up in a family household that was happy and fun. It changes depending on your experiences and, and where you've been in your life. And so you might say to yourself, why is this important? And I think it's important 
because we need to recognize those filters. Each one of these things is like a filter in our life. And we need to recognize those filters. We need to recognize how we see the world, the things that have happened to me that are unique to my situation and that cause me to see people and see things a certain way. And the reason that it's important to recognize those filters is because I've got to to understand how I see the world so that I can understand how I don't see the world. My experience is different than anyone else's. And if, I, if I'm always thinking of things through my experiences, then I'm missing a whole bunch of things that other people have experienced in the way they see things. So let's take a minute to talk about the filters in my life or how I see the world. <clears throat> so some of my filters. I'm married with kids. I grew up in a small town in north central Pennsylvania. I've, a, I've got a lot of brothers and sisters, six to be exact. I'm a pastor that went to college to be an art teacher. And a hundred million other decisions and factors in my life and pains and hurts and joys that have made up how I see the world. Once I know my filters, now again I can see where I'm not. And this became really relevant in my life and I think stood out to me most a few years ago. So I got a chance to work for Family Services of Western Pennsylvania. And if you don't know Family Services, um, they became Wesleyan Services of Western Pennsylvania. And it's an awesome organization. It's an organization that goes into low-income communities and it finds ways to help them out. It finds ways to, to give them a leg up. And so the, pro- the program that I worked on was working with parents of kids in low-income communities and teaching them how to be advocates for their kids. How do I teach a, a, a parent to ad, be an advocate for your son or daughter in school when your experience in school, the majority of these people's experience in school, was a horrible experience? It didn't go well for them, and so they don't understand how to engage with teachers and schools and principals, and that was my job. I got to go out to these communities, and I got to meet these people, and I got to help them to understand how you even talk to a teacher. What does a report card mean? How do I look at a report card and and evaluate that? But because of this job, I had to go into some areas that I wasn't really familiar with, and they always used to lovingly make fun of me and say, the white boy's going down to the projects because I had to go into some areas that weren't where I'm from. But I'll tell you what, it was one of the best experiences in my life because I truly got to see the world from a different perspective. It changed how I saw people around me because I started to understand that there's people in this world that have a completely different life than mine. It's, many of these people, their, their lives were nothing like what I had growing up in the suburbs of a small town in north-central Pennsylvania. But I got to learn and meet these mostly women, because that's who was at home and that's who was trying to raise these kids. I got to meet these women and I got to see how strong they were and how amazing it was to see these people that just wanted the best for their kids. They wanted to overcome these things in their lives so that they could help their kids overcome the same things. It was tough to see. You wanted to, some some of you wanted to just take them out of that situation and say, let me help. What can I do? How can we make this different? Because you're seeing these people that just have a passion to love their kids. And so it was an amazing experience. And from that experience, I I took two things that I tried to um, put into practice in my life after seeing these things. One was, I try not to take a personal position or pass judgment on a topic that I don't have experience with myself or personally know someone that has experience with. 
I think too quickly we're, we, we like to say and pass judgment on someone else's experience even though we have no idea what they're going through. We have no idea what that looks like. So I, I said, you, you know what, I'm going to have to search out and find these answers instead of passing judgment just based off things I hear or things I think I know. And the second thing I've tried to do is I, I tried to start to make a choice to put myself into situations where I'm in contact with people who have different or unfamiliar filters to myself so that I can learn more about who they are. I try to put myself in situations where I'm meeting people that are different than the circle that I normally hang around with. So I can start to see a bigger picture of what the world is and who people are, like Jesus did. And the more that we understand and we're honest about these filters in our lives, the easier it is to see past them when I attempt to see people around me like Jesus does. But oftentimes there's one thing, a major thing that gets in our way and hinders that, and it's that oftentimes we judge the big picture from a small piece. We see these small pieces and these small parts of, of people's lives or we hear a story or we read a headline of an article or we, we look at social media and we're scrolling through at 90 miles an hour and we see these things and we think we know the big picture. We think we know what's going on in people's lives. We think we know the answers and we say, hey, you know what? Those people are crazy. And we'd say that because we read a news headline. We see, we make big we make judgments on the big picture from just seeing a little piece of what's going on. So this week in, in our house, it's been Dr. Seuss week because my kids were in drama club this week. And they, uh, so last night they actually were in the musical Seussical. I don't know if anybody's seen it. So my son was one of the cats and my daughter was a village something or other, village animal. She was cute as a button no matter what she was doing. Um... <laughs> So I was racing over there last night to see their play, but it was Seuss Week. So when I was trying to think of an illustration for this and this divide that we've created, um, I went to Dr. Seuss because that's where, you know, that's where the answers are is Dr. Seuss. Um, and so has anybody read the book The Butter Battle? A lot of silence when I say that. It's not, it's not Dr. Which is why, which is why I, I bring it up because it's not Dr. Seuss's one of his main works. Um, but my mom, who's awesome and is here, uh, and she asked me to say that. Um, she read it to me when I was a kid, um, and I read it to my kids. But this book is actually about um, escalating war and nuclear proliferation. So those are great topics. I don't know why my mom read it to me when I was a kid. And I, again, I question why I read it to my children. Um, but that's, what, that's the topic he tackles in this kid's book. So let me tell you a little bit about the plot. This is what happens. So the story's told through the eyes of this grandfather. And the grandfather takes his grandson out to this wall that they've built, and he starts to tell them about the other people that live on the other side of the wall. And the difference between the two sides is that one side likes to eat their bread with the butter side up, and the other one eats their bread with the butter side down. That's it. Everything about them other than that is exactly the same. The characters look exactly the same but wear different colors. That's it. That's the only thing that's different. One chooses to eat their bread butter side up. The other one chooses to eat it butter side down. <clears throat> so because of this, what they do is they build a wall in between the two, the two places. And they separate because they can't deal with the fact that they're different in that way. 
And so grandfather is actually, when he was young, he goes out to the wall, and it's his job to guard the wall from the people on the other side. So it starts out small, so he goes out to the wall, and he's got, a, he's got a, um, just a stick, right? And he's got this stick, and that's how he's going to guard the wall. And he, he takes the stick out, and then the other guy on the other side, he brings a slingshot, and he shoots the slingshot and breaks his stick. So then grandfather goes and says, the stick's not enough. I need something bigger. So they build him a slingshot that shoots three slingshots, and then the other side then brings something bigger, and the other side brings something bigger until they get to the end, and that's actually the last picture in the book. And I'm not spoiling anything because he doesn't tell you the end. But they create something that's like a, it's a tiny little bomb that if they drop it, they wipe out the other side completely. But both sides have the bomb. So this was written during the Cold War. <laughs> sound familiar? But it doesn't sound that unfamiliar from the way we're living today. So let's see the mistakes that they made in the butter battle after just giving you that brief description. Their ignorance caused them to separate over a trivial matter. Instead of understanding the other side and being okay with their differences, they choose to isolate themselves. The grandfather was teaching his grandson the same lack of compassion that had gotten him into the whole mess. The entire tone on each side was set by a few voices that were loud. Neither side attempted to de-escalate the situation, and both sides chose fear and hate over compassion and love. We are in a country that feels more divided than ever. We disagree, we fight, um, we, we defend our position at all costs, even though sometimes, if we really took a look at it, the differences we're fighting about are just that of perspective, seeing something a different way. Neither side is listening, and a few loud voices are dictating the narrative. This is the earthly wisdom on how to disagree. This is how the world tells us that we need to be. The world says, take a position, take a stand, be on one side or the other. And if you don't, then you're sitting in the middle. And if you sit in the middle, then you're wishy-washy and you can't make a decision. Let's see what the Bible says about the wisdom of dealing with these things. So if you've got your Bibles with you and you want to open to James 3 or it'll be on the screen or if you've got your device, you can go ahead and get it out. But James 3, 17 through 18 says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. The Bible says that wisdom come, the wisdom that comes from heaven is nothing like we're seeing in the world today. Working with others and the wisdom that is involved in that is peace-loving. Considerate. Full of mercy. Impartial. Nothing feels impartial anymore. Like I said, you, you got to pick a side. you got to be on one side or the other. It also says that people that are peacemakers sow in peace, and because of it, they reap in righteousness. Are we reaping in righteousness? Are we sowing peace? Are we the people that are stepping out to be the peacemakers in the world? When there's hate and fighting and disagreements and arguments, are we the ones that are stepping forward to be the peacemakers? And to say, wait a minute, let's take a look at both sides and let's figure out what's going on here. 
When we find filters of similarity, we can begin to understand a little more about people we disagree with. And one way to find out more, as we already talked about, is to find ways to talk to people that are different than us. Find ways to put people in our lives that see things differently than I do. The second and the more important way as Christians is to see how Jesus sees people. To try to understand what it looked like through Jesus' eyes when he looked around and he saw the sick and he saw the hurting and he saw the people that needed his help. What did that look like? Now, full disclosure, Jesus has an advantage over me. Jesus was able to see the hearts and, and thoughts of the people around him. So it was a little easier for him to discern who was after him and who wasn't, right? I, I don't have that ability, and actually I have trouble seeing people clearly most of the time. So he has an advantage in that situation. But here's what I'm starting to understand as I read through the Gospels more and more, that Jesus showed compassion to guide people to truth. Again, he showed compassion to guide to truth. I think too often we flip that. We think we need to tell someone the truth. We need to let them know that they're wrong. We need to let them know why what they're doing isn't right. And we skip the compassion step. We skip the trying to understand the situation the person's in. We skip trying to understand what filters they see life through, where they've been in their past, the hurts that have happened in their lives. We skip the compassion and we jump to the truth. The truth is awesome, and it's important, but Jesus started with compassion. So in so many instances, I'm seeing this happen in the Gospels, and I'm seeing this happen with Jesus' interactions with the people around him, but I want to take a look at one quick um, story, and we're not going to read the whole thing today, but if you want to read it later, um, it's in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> and so what's happening in the story is there's a group of Pharisees, so the religious leaders of the time. Uh, are there and, and they catch a woman in the act of adultery. And many of you probably have heard this story before, but these, these um, uh, Pharisees, they drag the woman out into the street and they say, we're going to stone her. She broke the law and they had every right to stone her. She, they, she was caught in the act of breaking the law. And that's what happened to countless other people before this. And that's where Jesus steps in. And Jesus says, hold on a second. Wait a minute. He sees the person that's standing there. He sees this woman. He has compassion for where she's at, the situation she's in. He defends her against the Pharisees and says, wait a minute. Why doesn't the per first person without sin, you go ahead and cast the first stone. And we see in the story the Pharisees end up walking away because they realize that they, they have sinned themselves. And at this point, you might be saying, but yeah, but what about her sin? What about the sin she was in? It was wrong. It wasn't right. She shouldn't have been doing that. And Jesus doesn't ignore that. He says, you're absolutely right. She was in sin. And so what does he do? He leaves her with truth. He says, go and sin no more. He had compassion. He saw the situation. He saw the person in front of him, and he had compassion, and then guided that person to truth once she saw that he had compassion for her. Now let's pause for a second, because sometimes we, we read the Bible and we're like, yeah, but that's not really relevant today. We're not stoning people, Seth. Like, come on, let's uh, figure this out here. We don't, let's read something a little more relevant. Well, 
the idea of casting stones, we cast stones, I think, in a different way than they did back then. We might not cast stones out in the streets to stone somebody, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, social media is great. Social media is awesome. We don't use it in an awesome way. I love seeing the picture of people's kids and their vacations and where they're going and hearing the cool things that they're doing. But I think all too often that's where we cast our stones. In the comment fields of um, news articles and in the comment fields on Facebook and Twitter. And I think if we're honest, if we're truly honest with ourselves and you go back and you look at your feeds over the last couple of years and you read those memes and you think about it through the eyes of someone else, you might realize that those are the stones you're casting. That's the hurt you're causing. That's the judgment you're throwing out there into the world. And I think the problem is, and what we don't understand, is that when we do that, people see it. And when they see it, and they know that Seth's a Christian, they now see Jesus that way. I am supposed to be a reflection of who Jesus is. And when I make the choices to put my opinion out there that's counter to what Jesus really was, that's, who, that's how they see Jesus. So I want to be a Christian, and I want to raise my hand, and I want to say, hey, I'm a Christian, everybody, look at me. But then when people are reading my stuff, they're like, wait a minute, what, is this who Jesus is? Because then I don't want any part of that. So we need to be careful, I think, with social media especially in, in those aspects and, and casting stones. But let's take a look at another verse about uh, compassion. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received in God. So what's this verse saying? This verse is saying that we should be compassion experts. This verse is saying Jesus has poured out compassion for us. He saved our lives when we didn't deserve it at all. So we should be able to, in turn, turn around and deal with the people around us with the same amount of love and compassion. We should be compassion experts. We should be the people out there that when, when things are going wrong and people are hurt and situations are happening where people don't know what to do, we should be the people out there that they go, there's the compassion, there's the love, because we know what it means to, be, to have compassion put on us and to be loved. So what is compassion? Let's take a look at the definition of compassion. I love just looking up definitions of words because it's always interesting how bad I misuse them. Um, so compassion is a sympathetic pity and concern for the suffering or misfortune of others. A sympathetic pity and concern for the suffering or misfortune of others. To suffer with is the second part of that. To suffer with. Who are you suffering with today? A compassion is to suffer with. Who are you suffering with today? Who in your life do you know so much about what there was going on in their lives, the hurts and the pains in their lives, that you're suffering with them? Are we doing it, church? Are we living out the word? Are we being the compassion and showing the compassion that's been shown to us? 
But let's make a quick distinction. Because as I was creating this message, I'm thinking of this, and you know, I'm praying and, and, and watching things, I start to hear the word tolerance. And I start to hear, well, you need to be more tolerant. The church needs to be more tolerant. Why aren't we tolerant? Be tolerant of everybody. Be tolerant. Be more tolerant, guys. It's not what God wants. Because the definition of tolerance, listen to this. Let's, let's make this distinction. The definition of tolerance is you be over there, and I'm going to be over here. You do you, and I'll do me. I won't say anything. You just do your thing. I'm going to be tolerant because I'm not going to stop you from doing your thing. And God doesn't say be tolerant. God says be compassionate. Tolerance divides. Tolerance says I'm over here, you're over there. We just are okay with each other. Compassion brings together. Compassion says I see you over there. Not only do I see you over there, I'm going to go over there with you and I'm going to suffer through what you're suffering through so that I can better understand what's going on in your life. God wants compassion. He doesn't want tolerance. He wants us to know what people are going through. He wants us to understand their suffering. He wants us to understand their hurts and their pains. Let's take a look at another verse. Maybe this will explain it a little better. John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus said, A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. When we love and have compassion for the people of this world, people see Jesus. When I show compassion and I try to understand someone's situation before casting stones, the world sees Jesus. When I try to seek out relationships with people who have a different experience than mine so that I can better understand a situation beyond news headlines or talk radio or Twitter, the world around me sees the love and compassion of Christ. We are to be a reflection of Jesus. And to do that, I've got to show compassion. And to show compassion, I have to suffer with the people around me. It's going to mean stepping out of my comfort zone. It's going to be moving out of the circle of people that I normally associate with and making choices in our lives to move into areas and places and see people and put myself in experiences that are different than the ones I grew up with or the ones that I live every day. We've got to know what, they're, what people are going through so that we can have compassion and suffer with them. So imagine this, church. Imagine if the church loved people like Jesus loved us. Now, it's easy to say that. It's hard to do it. What would it look like if we loved the people of this community the way Jesus loved us? Jesus died for us. Jesus looked at us and said, these people are broken and they're hurting and I need to die for these people. He came down and he suffered with us because of the compassion that he had for you and for me. But you may say, but wait a minute, Seth. Hold full stop. I've tried to love. I've tried to be compassionate. I've tried to be a peacemaker. I've tried to tell people about who Jesus is. I've tried to, you know, be that person that's just loving and smiling and everybody thinks is so full of joy. And all it's gotten me is a bunch of hurt and a bunch of pain it's gotten me taken advantage of, made fun of. I've been called the crazy happy person at work. You know what Jesus would say? 
and this is the Seth paraphrase, so don't, they won't put it up on the board, but he'd say, yeah, I came to earth. I loved people. I healed people. I healed the sick. I healed the lame. I loved them. I had compassion for them. And you know what happened to me? They killed me. So why would you expect anything less? They killed him. So getting made fun of or being called a name or whatever, if you're loving like Jesus loved and you're a Christian and you're saying, I'm a Christian and I'm going to do everything I can, it, it, doesn't ma- it shouldn't matter. Because we need to pass on what Jesus has given to us. Jesus came to the world to save the lost. He loved with compassion and mercy. He healed the sick. And he understood that the healing of the physical body wasn't even his highest form of love. He knew that healing their souls was what they needed. He knew that healing our souls is what we needed. Healing their, their sicknesses, healing, you know, the things that have caused them pain for all those years, that was a tiny, tiny piece of what he knew was what was important to these people. He came to heal their souls. So here's the big truth. The big truth is we are all sinners. There is not a single person in this room or standing on this stage that's not a sinner. There's not anybody in here that is above anybody else and is somehow more righteous than someone else. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God, every single one of us. And when we start to understand that, some things start to become clear. It takes me off some righteousness of pedestal of righteousness, and it puts me in a situation where I can see the people around me more clearly because we're all in the same boat. I'm not sitting up somewhere thinking I'm better than everybody else. We're all in the same ship together, and we all need saved, and we all need Jesus. And so we were reading through uh, the Sermon on the Mount this week in Growth Group, and this verse stood out to me, so I just wanted to share it with you. Um, It's from Matthew 5, 7 through 9, and it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Are we merciful, church? Do we show mercy to the people around us? Are we the peace, again, are we the peacemakers in our communities? Or do we gossip and fight just like everybody else? Do we take sides and argue? Or are you the peacemakers? And there's people in this room that do an amazing job at this. So if that's you, I'm not speaking to you this morning. You're doing great, keep going. They do great, and you can see them coming from a mile away. The people that reflect the love and compassion of Jesus, I'm sure you can think of some of those people just now as we're talking about it. Because they, when, some, when we get this right, people see it. People see that difference, and they see that who we are, and they see Jesus through us. And once we recognize our brokenness and once we recognize our shortcomings, it helps me to change those filters and change the way that I'm seeing it because I can see more like Christ saw. Because Christ saw all of us as pure. He sees us as a people that are pure and, and needing, needed to be saved, and that's why he did what he did. So what's the practical what, how, do, how do we do this? It's great to say we all should love one another and be compassionate, and that's awesome. But how, what, what does it really mean? How do, we, how do we change the way we see the people around us? Well, 
The more we connect to Jesus, the more we see through his eyes. So how do we connect to Jesus? Well, we connect to Jesus through reading our Bibles, right? We read his word. We understand more about Jesus through the words he spoke and how he treated the people in his life and how he treated the disciples and how he treated the Pharisees and, and all the things that he did. And we read those things and then we, we apply them to our lives. They become a filter now in my life where I can say, I've read this and I understand it and now I can see it. We, we get into a growth group and we, we hang out with people that are fellow Christians that are trying to do the same thing, that are trying to overcome their sins, that are trying to be better, that are trying to understand it so that we can all talk about it and say, how did you do this week in loving the people around you? How did you do this week in reflecting Jesus' love to the people around you? The more that we can look at situations with compassion and mercy instead of anger and hatred, the more the world sees Jesus. And one of the other things that kind of keeps coming up as, I, as I've been going through this and I've been thinking about it and praying about it, <clears throat> is there, I'm, I'm coming to a big realization in my life. Um, and that realization is that my opinion doesn't matter. My opinion does not matter. When I became a Christian, when I chose to be baptized, when I, when I said, you know what, Jesus, I'm living my life for you, my opinion went out the door. Because it's no longer about me. It's no longer about Seth. It's about people seeing Christ through me. So now my opinion has to, I've got to try as hard as I can. I've got to try to align my opinion with what Jesus is. My opinion doesn't matter. Because what I've found is, when I use, start using my opinion, when I start saying, this is how I feel about something, and I don't use that filter of trying to see things the way Jesus sees things, without a doubt, I fail. Without a doubt, it usually, somebody on the other end that's reading it, reads it the wrong way, and it doesn't reflect the love of Jesus. My opinion doesn't matter. And I hate to break to you, but neither did yours. If you are a Christian, your opinion doesn't matter. Our only opinion should be that of Christ. And Christ said, love one another as I have loved you. And because of this, because you love one another the way I have loved you, people will see that and they will see me. <clears throat> Jesus is not asking us to be with, okay with everyone's thoughts and beliefs. He's not asking us to be okay with everyone's uh, opinions and lifestyles. What he's saying is, take the time to listen and understand first. We don't have to set aside our faith to have compassion. And, and I would say that we're living out our faith when we have compassion. Listen without judgment. Listen without creating your argument while other people are talking. That's the marriage tip of the day, husbands out there. Listen to people without forming your argument while they're talking, really listen. Sit down with people and ask them what they're going through. Ask them where they've been. Ask them why they got to where they got to. Everybody has an amazing story, and every story is different. And before we start telling people that they're wrong, we need to understand why they got to where they got to. Compassion to truth. So the question I asked earlier was, um, what would happen if we loved like Jesus loved us? 
What if we loved the people around us like Jesus loved us? So that was the first question. The second question I want to ask is, so what would happen if we could see people like Jesus? What would happen if when we left this place, when we looked around, we saw a people that were in need of saving? We saw people that were hurting, a people that were in pain, a people that wanted to just see love and compassion. Folks, we're living in a world that doesn't, compassion and love never come up. Turn on the news. As an experiment, I listened to the radio this week, one of the news radio channels. I didn't hear him talk about love and compassion once. It didn't happen. It doesn't happen. We need to be different. We need it to to be the people that when they look at us, they see Jesus that in everything I do, no matter what. So imagine, imagine how many people we could help, how many people we could po- point to Christ, how much of this city could be changed when people talked about impact and they said, that church down there, in impact, they know how to love. No matter where you're from, no matter what background you're from, no matter what race or nationality or the mess that you're in and the sin that you're in and the things that you've done, it doesn't matter. You go down to impact, they're going to love you like Jesus loved you. And they're going to help guide you to a relationship with Jesus. Imagine what that would look like. But the problem is, is that we leave that light here. We leave that light in here. So when we go out into the world... We change, and we no longer are kind of living that light. So the people out there aren't seeing the light that's in here. So what we need everybody to do, what we need to do as a church, is we need to go out there and be a reflection of Christ so they see it and they go, oh, my word, why is this person, holy cow, what's going on down at Impact? Because this person's, they're crazy, and I want a part of that craziness. You know what I mean? Like we need to get that out there. And when we shut down and we compartmentalize and we say church is only for in this room and growth group, the rest of the world that needs that compassion and that love isn't getting it. They're not getting the message. And I'm not saying you have to have the loudest argument for who Christ is. And I'm not saying you've got to go out there and stand on a street corner with a big sign. What I'm saying is, and what the Bible's telling us, and what I'm seeing more and more, is the best way to get someone to know who Christ is, is to live an example every day. Love and have compassion and guide to truth. That's all we got to do, church. So I truly believe, as I've, again, as I've been going through this and I've been thinking about it and watching things and listening to stuff, I believe the world's watching. The world's watching the church. Because as the world escalates all of this other stuff and junk and it's all swirling around and it's hate and it's pain, they know there's something else different there. They know that Christ was different and he came for a different reason and the world is watching. They're watching you and they're watching me and they want to see what's different about the church. And if we live our lives the way that we've always lived our lives, they're not going to see anything different. The world is watching. Are we up for the task, church? Are we up for the... It's not going to be easy. 
like I said, we're an imperfect people trying to do a perfect thing. And it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be pretty. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be mistakes that are made and people that, that leave and people that come and people go. It's not going to be pretty. But what I do know is that if we are living out our lives the way Christ wants us to live and we're being a reflection of Christ to one another, we're going to start having compassion not just for the people outside those doors. We're going to, have to start having compassion for one another in here. The little things that are happening in here or the issues we've got or the concerns we have, if we're all reflecting who Christ is, those things go away. The world is watching to see what the church does. They know there's something different here. Are we ready to reflect that to them? Let's pray.